What's up, what's up? Welcome back, everybody, Inside the Green Room. I'm Danny Green, my co-host, Harrison Sanford. This show is brought to you by Jack in the Box. What's up, what's up, everybody? It's Danny Green here, back with Inside the Green Room, my co-host, Harrison Sanford. We got the great big game, James Worthy, joining us today to uh, talk about the only topic that's been going around the world right now, and that's the last dance everybody's been watching. Uh, Big game. Appreciate you taking your time out, man, and joining us. Um, and you know, said watching the last dance with everybody else around the world. Uh, your thoughts? Uh, what you obviously you lived it, um, but as you see, and it's put together now. What, what are your thoughts of, of how it's been put together? Uh, it's a it's a unique documentary. You know, there's a lot of things that uh, uh, that as a former player, I, I kind of knew uh, some of the uh, content uh, from living it through the '80s in the nineties. Uh, but then there was a lot of things, uh, that was, uh, kind of an inside the Chicago team that I didn't know. So for that reason, you know, um, it, it was rich and content and, uh, the way everyone, uh, was so, um, explicit about their memory, uh, Steve Kerr, um, you know, B.J. Armstrong, and then, of course, you had the whole Kraus issue. Uh, there was a lot to learn in the documentary. So um, I think the unknown uh, factors were, were really exciting, and people were anticipating it each episode. James, we're excited to have you. There's a number of topics that we're going to have fun talking about today, whether it's flashing back to your time at UNC with Jordan. Maybe we'll name a top five team of all time from UNC in terms of starting positions. Uh, We'll obviously have to talk about the current day Lakers and what would happen if the season progresses. But uh, overall, looking at this Last Chance documentary, you're an all-time Laker. You've only played for two teams in your life. You played for North Carolina and you played for the Lakers. So I'm imagining there's a sense of pride that you have with the purple and gold. And this documentary is painting the Bulls in a very high, uh, a, strong, a strong picture here as maybe the best team of all time, best dynasty of all time. But you played for the Lakers. At the same time, Michael Jordan was your college teammate. How do you digest those, the, 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 the differences in those two things and still try to keep your allegiance? Well, I mean, I, it's... From my perspective, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, decade before me in the 70s. Uh, I even saw a little bit of Bill Russell toward the, the, the late 60s and the early 70s. So it's so hard to compare. And people go into statistics. Um, you know, they, they go into a lot of different categories to try to figure that out. Uh, Bill Russell would say with 11 rings, they were the best team ever. That's, you know, a lot of people measure it by the rings. But I've always found that difficult to do uh, because of the different styles. I, I can't see uh, the 60s team who really didn't shoot the three, didn't really have up-tempo, so it's hard to compare. Uh, the Chicago Bulls are definitely, with six championships and, you know, uh, for what they did, they're, they're in the conversation. I can't say they're the best. You know, uh, mm-hmm. no times to have something to say about that. Uh, even though Larry Bird only won three, uh, you know, he's going to say over time, San Antonio's going to have something to say about that. 
But you have to give Chicago credit for what they did after they got past Detroit. Um, they're top, top two, top three for sure, but it's so hard to compare. Uh, but what Michael did and the way he did it and the way the story evolved from being nothing when he first got there, going through the injury, and then getting past Detroit. And, uh, yeah, you, you have to say they're, they're one of the top, but I, you know, I can't say who's the best team ever. I, I can't. James, you, you referenced Michael getting past the Pistons, and in part three and four of the documentary, they really go into the Jordan rules. Hmm. And I'm watching, and I'm saying to myself, you know, these rules, they seem extreme, but they also just seem like 80s and 90s basketball to me. Was there any real difference? Is it just because it was for Jordan? But it felt like the physical play, that was just part of the rules if you were, if you were in that era. You would do that with anybody who's of that caliber. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. Uh, in the 80s, uh, with only uh, two referees for a long time before they added the third, um, you were allowed to play the game the way the game pretty much had been played since Oscar Robinson and those guys played. You know, you could check a guy with your arm playing defense as long as you didn't extend it. And God forbid you came through the lane. You're going to get checked. Um, I, don't think the, I don't think it's changed that much. It's not as physical. But I think Detroit added just a little bit more emphasis on Michael Jordan. You know, they didn't treat Scotty quite the same. You know, they pushed him around a little bit. But MJ, they had particular rules for him. <laughs> and so uh, it was just a little bit more emphasis on MJ. than you saw in the documentary where he was a skinny kid, you know, really couldn't take the beating, put on about 15 pounds, hit the weight room, and then he became the punisher. So uh, Detroit didn't have those rules for anybody else but that one particular player in MJ. After he got past Detroit, it took him a little while, and he finally got to the final stage in 91. He got a chance to play against you guys. What was the game plan going into that finals, um, playing against um, Mike? Yeah, I mean, um, we, we were a pretty, pretty confident team. I mean, you know, we had Magic still. Vladi uh, Divac had come to us. Sam Perkins, Byron Scott was still there. You know, I was, uh, I was still, you know, pretty dominant player. Unfortunately, we weren't as healthy as we would have liked to be. Mm -hmm. I sprained my ankle in the previous uh, series against Portland. Byron went down. But our, our thing was, you know, we we're going to play our game. We had a little bit more experience than they had. Winning 11 championships was their first time in the finals. Uh, our thing was just to kind of control the rest of the team. We knew Michael was a, do a dominant player. We were able to go in there and steal game one. Uh, they didn't play that well. But our, our thing was to not let Pippen get off, not let Horace Grant get off, not let Kerr get off. Michael was going to average probably about 30 anyway. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, uh, you know, they came back in game two with a lot of firepower and and that just set us back after that. How, does, how do you balance the, the feelings of emotions of, you know, losing in the finals, but also watching your college teammate win his first ring? 
No, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> didn't care at all. <laughs> you know, after Carolina, man, you know, I wasn't. Yeah. You know, I, I wished him well. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely uh, you know, I just wanted to be healthy. There was no guarantee, but mm-hmm. I thought we had a really good chance of, of, of winning that that series. But no, I wasn't pulling for him. Once it was over, obviously I was happy for him, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, because I knew the grind and the grit. And, you know, uh, there was a lot of pressure on him. Uh, you can't win like Larry Bird. You can't win like Magic. So you can't win like Isaiah. He finally got that monkey off his back. James, can you pull back the curtain a little bit? Do you remember what you might have said to Michael, maybe in the court, on the court after the 91 finals or back in the, in the alleyway at the Great Western Forum? Do you remember that first real conversation you had with Michael after the 91 finals? No, I, I think it was, it was more of a – I think it was just like you finally did it. You know, we had an embrace – Look at each other's eyes, you know, uh, he was exhausted and crying. And I was just, I was just telling him, I was like, hard journey, hard work. I knew you were going to do it eventually, you know, and we had flashbacks from, you know, 82. Uh, so uh, it's, it's very interesting to, to see him. His father was there. Uh, James was there. And, um, yeah, I just told him. You finally did. I knew you were going to do it. I told him I wish I had been healthy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I had to guard him some. Yeah. You know, if Michael and I go way back with the trash talk and stuff, yeah. <laughs> I would have, I would have gotten a little physical with him. And you know, I, I, you know, I know some of his tricks, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. didn't well, Going back to the flashbacks, uh, what was your favorite memory of of him? or being his teammate at school at Carolina? Uh, your favorite Chapel Hill memory or uh, Tar Hill memory of when you guys were, were younger? I, I just remember that Friday evening on his recruiting trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know Granville Towers. Yes. You're staying in Granville, but you know Granville Towers. Did you stay in Granville? I did. Actually, Kenny was on the show last week, and he actually brought up his interesting Granville Tower stories as well. Yeah. In the summertime, Granville Towers, so, yes. So it's Friday, and... You know, we, recruits are coming in. I think we got two or three recruits, and Michael's one of them. Mm-hmm. So I'm at the end of the hall, and, and, and Gramble, uh, I believe we were Gramble East at the time. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it's like six o'clock, and I hear this, I hear this kid like, where's James Worthy at? You know? <laughs> uh, where's Jimmy Black? You know, it's just, <laughs> Danny, the guy had so much confidence you know, usually when a freshman comes in, you're real yeah. rude, you're real yeah, quiet. Yeah, a little, little like, shy. Hello. Not Mike. <laughs> he wanted to seek out to see who he was going to be competing against. Big mouth, very confident, you know, walking around. Yeah, I, I like this. This is going to be my hall right here. <laughs> so, and then, you know, as practice began, I think you heard my quote. I, I said, you know, look, I was better than Michael. Yeah. For, for about two weeks. <laughs> and that's true because mm-hmm. we're practicing. I'm, I'm exhausted. You know, I'm two and a half hours of Coach Smith practice. I'm trying to walk off the floor, and here comes Michael. Where you going, young fella? You know, you get <laughs> Where you going, young fella? What you got? And, you know, he knew my weaknesses. I didn't have an outside shot. Mm-hmm. It was inconsistent. Mm-hmm. He knew. Come on. And he, we started a one-on-one game to five. 
be back up. I'm going to get you <laughs> So she was just like a little mosquito constantly in the dorm. <laughs> be in the cafeteria eating. He'd come up behind and slap you in the back of your head. Like, oh, you want to get up and kick his ass. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, but, that, but you just, you know, and then after a while, you begin to understand that this guy had it. Mm-hmm. Wanted it. You know, uh, Coach Smith putting in running group B, you know, the running program. Yeah. We had A, B, and C. C. A, yeah. Your time. So Jimmy Black and guys like that uh, were giving him a hard time because he had a few more seconds to make his time, running the 220 or 440 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Michael went to Coach Smith and said, put me in A. And he got in that A group and just dusted everybody. <laughs> If it were backgammon, it didn't matter. <laughs> if, if he lost a game of backgammon, it would be like losing to the Detroit Pistons in game seven. He was mad. <laughs> he was angry. He was going to get revenge. You know, you'd be walking, you know, through the cafeteria. He'd be like, I want that rematch. Right? <laughs> he just did, he couldn't take losing, man. He couldn't take. Yeah, we, we had the A, B, and C group, too, when I was there with Coach, Coach Williams. You know, yeah. obviously the younger, the point guards, the smaller guys had to be the faster times, and then the guards, the B group, the big C group. I never uh, made my mile, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of guys struggled with that mile, especially you know A and B and C groups. But uh, yeah, so, that's that's interesting. So, so James, when when MJ, after he's this brash recruit, he finally comes on campus and he establishes, as you said, after about two weeks, that you thought he was the best player on the team. At that point, did you? think you're going to win the national title or even before that? Or, and what exactly did he bring that made that team escalated it to the national title level? Obviously still a very good team, but obviously with him becoming a, winning the title. Yeah, well, we had lost the, to the Indiana uh, Hoosers the year before, 1981. So it's, it was rare then to get back to the final four two years in a row because you lose players, you have mm-hmm. to regroup, things like that. But we were determined. I remember um, when we came back to school in August, Jimmy Black got us all together. And Michael was a freshman then. We had a team meeting that um, we were so tired of hearing about uh, the monkey being on Coach Smith's back. You know, he was a great coach, the winningest coach in college basketball at the time. Uh, always would get to the final four, come up a little short. Mm. And so we were determined uh, that we were going to dedicate, you know, this season to, to winning it for him. Coach Smith is always, if you lose, he didn't prepare his team. Mm. And if he won, he was like, it wasn't me. It was the great players. We got tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, right? That's kind of Coach Williams the same. Yeah, Coach Williams. He had all the talent mm-hmm. in the world. That's why he won. Exactly. Yeah. So we got together and, you know, we started our running program. We started playing in Carmichael. Coach Smith didn't allow freshmen to talk to the media until after their first game. So Michael didn't have a lot of conversation. He didn't have a lot of say. We also were ranked number one preseason in 1982. Sports Illustrated wanted to put the starting five on the cover. But Coach Smith, didn't, he didn't allow freshmen to do that kind of stuff. So if you go back and look at that Sports Illustrated, Michael's not on there. It's four Imagine. guys. <laughs> it's four guys. And Coach, <laughs> Smith, 
Matt oh, Doherty, Jimmy Black, Sam Perkins, me, and Coach Smith. No Michael. Mm-hmm. Now, somebody after the season did an animated version and added Michael to it. <laughs> uh, but um, we were preseason number one. Michael had tons of talent. But one thing he didn't have that Coach Smith and the coaching staff gave him was he didn't have any science of the game. He didn't have the fundamentals down. Uh, and he didn't have the team concept. You know, so you, Danny, you know, with Coach mm-hmm. Smith, you get that. Once he got that. That's why I said I was better than he was for two weeks. Because it took him a couple weeks. And once he got that, once he learned how to play within the team system and still, you know, utilize his athleticism, I saw an emergence somewhere around the ACC tournament time. We played Ralph Sampson in Virginia. I saw Michael come out. He had a breakthrough. He was playing, you know, team ball. But I saw him realize that he could take anybody at any time. And so he helped us elevate. You know, before that, it was Sam Perkins and I doing most of the damage. But when we added that third wheel, Michael really elevated our team. And when we got into the the Georgetown game, you know, I was the most outstanding player, but Michael hit some key shots in that game, man, some big plays. And had he not made those plays, the momentum was shifting towards Georgetown. So he, his timing was, was, was perfect, the way he elevated, the way he matured. By the time he got to the NCAAs, we were unbeatable. So we knew we were going to win um, back in, you know, before the season even started. That was our goal. We played in Carmichael. Uh, did you play in Carmichael, Dad? No, no, but okay. Carmichael was there. That was that was the, we spoke about that too with Kenny. Um, the woman, okay. no, the woman team played I'm, there. I'm making you older than what you are. <laughs> yeah. but, but anyway, there was a there was a combination to get into the locker room mm-hmm. in 1982. Coach Guthridge made the combination 32, two, and one. And he said, we're going to win 32 games, which we did. We lost two games, which we did. And we ended up number one. So wow. that's a little tad bit, man. And if you know Coach Gutters, you know, he's a unique, unique guy. Yeah, we, we also had uh, combinations of the years that we won and stuff yeah. like that. Oh, we never predicted the, the record. That's a tough one to predict. Um, but we also talked to Kenny about the summertime uh, pickup games. How often did you go back after being drafted and playing in, in the league? How often did you get a chance to go back to Chapel Hill and actually play or play in the pickup games in the summertime? Did you do? Did you go back often? Every summer, man. Okay. Every summer. Uh, and ever since the eighth grade, I was in basketball camp at Carolina. Eighth, okay. All the way up. So we would sneak down there and watch uh, Walter Davis and Phil Ford, Mitch Kupchak. And, you know, I couldn't wait to get in involved in those games. Uh, they were the highlight, you know, of summer, that and even Woolen Gym back in the day. Wow. But, uh, uh, you know, when all the pros came back, and as a current Tar Heel player, you get to mix it up and learn from those guys. Uh, that was, that was, uh, that's what it was all about, you know. So everybody came back for that. And it's a story about Kenny Smith, you know. I recruited Kenny hard, man. I was like, Dude, <laughs> you come to Carolina, you know, we're going to win uh, another one next year. 
and I left. Man. He, he <laughs> still pissed at me about that. <laughs> I always tell Michael, I said, bro, you couldn't win without me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This show is brought to you by Jack in the Box. Order your favorites like Jumbo Jacks, Curly Fries, or two tacos all day, every day using their mobile app, drive through or delivery. So, James, you have, obviously you've been around a number of UNC greats, you being one of them. Uh, it might be a challenge. Could you give us your starting five of the best UNC players of all time. And we'll exclude their NBA careers from, from the ranking. So it, could, it would just be what they did at UNC from point guard to center. And feel free to list yourself as the four or the three, however you'd like. Okay. <laughs> well, when I was growing up, um, Phil Ford was the best point guard that ever played at Carolina. Uh, mm-hmm. we're, and we're not talking about the NBA, even though I think he went to the NBA and was rookie of the year after playing for Coach Smith. Difficult to do. I'm going to put Phil Ford at uh, my one. MJ at two. Um, man, three is, is going to be difficult. Um, There's some options. I'm going, to go to my, I'm going to go to my four spot then, okay? <laughs> it's really hard between Sam Perkins, but I'm going to go with a prolific score, and people aren't going to believe this. I'm going with Bob McAdoo. Okay. Okay. Bob McAdoo, my four, unstoppable. At five, um, I'm going to I'm going to go with I'm going to go with 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 Sam Perkins. Okay. Myself. Okay. Stay defense. So, so you, you, you don't have yourself in that lineup. So that so 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 how many did I name there? I, I named four. four. You got yeah. four. Yep, and that's the three. So I'm in, I'm okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, it, it's so hard to leave out. You know, Vince. Man. It's man. hard to leave out. You know, Danny won a championship. <laughs> but I'm gonna Rashid. go. I'm gonna go with that because yeah, I got Rashid. defense and I got some scores in there. I mean, you got Rashid. You got yeah, uh, as you mentioned, Vince. You got Tyler Hansborough, who had a great career. Yes. Anton so, Jameson. Anton Jameson. Uh, yeah. Stack. There's so many guys, man. There's so There's many guys. Stack. I forgot about Stack. Yeah, it's, it it keeps going and going and going. I'm old school, though, man. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. Uh, before we go into the the, the current day Lakers, James, uh, as we we're talking to you, I'm like, this James has accomplished so much. Can you pick out? Uh, let's see if you can give us your top three moments in your career? I mean, you got three NBA titles. You got an NCAA title. You were named to the top 50 team, Hall of Fame. There's, there's a lot. So if you could give out, in order, which might be even more difficult, your top three accomplishments. Accomplishments. Um, I guess my first one, and I don't know if you want to use something like this as one, um, would be uh, – being drafted number one mm-hmm. out of Los Angeles Lakers. Sure. Uh, Ralph sure. Sampson, big mistake, big dumb, dumb mistake. <laughs> Decided to stay his senior year <laughs> at Virginia and still didn't get a championship. <laughs> Opportunity to play with Kareem, Magic, and Los Angeles. Wow. Turn that down. Now, I was going to stay because – 
I was not going to be the number one pick. Had Ralph Sampson gone, he was going to be number one. Dominique Wilkins, the human highlight femme, was going to be two. Terry Cummins would have gone before me. I would have been fourth or fifth. But Ralph Sampson stayed. Jerry West did not need a score. Uh, he needed someone that could fit in. The Lakers didn't need me. They had <laughs> won a championship. In fact, they had won two championships prior to me getting there. They made a trade back in 1977. Uh, they traded a couple of players, Don Ford, somebody else, to Cleveland for Cleveland's number one draft pick in 1982. At the time, Cleveland was at the top of the league. I think they had played in the finals. But they took a sparrow down. Ooh. And the Lakers ended up with that draft pick. So that would be my number one. Um, to go along with that, I broke my leg my rookie year, so I missed the finals. So my 1A would be losing to the Celtics in 1984. Mm -hmm. We learned a valuable lesson. They just beat us. They got us off our game. They, they, they just out, outplayed us. They, they, they were physical. So uh, my second one is 1985, when we finally – after seven tries in the finals, historically, Jerry West, Wilt Chamberlain, Elgin Baylor, they never beat the Celtics. So for us to come back the next year and beat the Celtics in the Boston Garden, no one's ever won a championship in that old – well, it's gone now, but that was a shitty gym back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my second accomplishment. And then uh, winning back-to-back -back in 1988 – against the Pistons after we beat the Celtics again in 87. I have one triple-double in my whole career, and I got it in game seven uh, against the Pistons. So wow. MVP wow. and winning back-to-back -back that hadn't been done in 19 years. Those are my top three. Wow. Not a bad top three at all. Not, Not bad, bad at all. <laughs> Not a bad Not top bad three. Not bad at all. We'll get to some uh... – yeah, we'll get to some, some regular day stuff now. We'll have we we're short on time here. Now. You're good. You're good. I, um, I got some time. I got I got I got one at fifty. I got to get on. So um, so we'll go back to the current day. Uh, what the situation is right now? Once we get back and rolling, which we should, and we're hoping it seems as if they're going to open up some facilities, uh, yeah. individual work, and then hopefully teamwork sooner than that, and then get back to playing and probably playing without fans to start. Um, do you think? the league should have regular playoffs or abbreviated or what do you think the format should be? How do you, in your opinion? It just depends on how much time there is. You know, I don't know how this will work out, mm -hmm. but my first scenario would be, you know, forget the all-star weekend next year. Okay. Maybe you start this season a little late, finish up the games and just run it into the next season somehow. Otherwise, it's going to have to be formatted. For sure. Like, like, like it was when we, when we went on strike a few years ago and San Antonio won the, the championship after playing 50 games. They had an asterisk beside <laughs> it. So it could be that they're just going to, what, take the top four teams and the other teams just – it's just too bad, you know, for the teams who were fighting for, for a seventh or eighth spot. That's just the way it's going to have to be if they format it. Uh, but I, you know, Danny, uh, I haven't seen the playoffs, man, in about seven years, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. And, uh, you guys, man, thanks to you and, you know, 
AD coming to join LeBron, and we got a good unit, man. You just don't know how excited I was to get <laughs> This would have been a good year, man. It would have been a fun yeah, year. Yeah, uh, man. Especially I feel good about it. I still feel good about it. You guys were peaking at the right time. A lot of people thought that because you got Danny Green, because you got AD, it was going to happen automatically. Mm -hmm. But it takes months, man, to gel all that together. It really does. But you guys were right there. And I was really getting excited. I'm still excited because I know mentally you guys are still there. When this picks back up, I'm expecting yeah. things, man. I really am. Yeah, we are too, man. I, said, I think it's even that more exciting because uh, the other team across town is pretty good too. And just the West, yeah. everybody yeah. in the whole city is looking forward to the playoffs and seeing yeah. what the Western Conference Finals is going to bring. For the first time uh, – I don't want to say for the first time. They've had they, – they had some good teams with mm -hmm. CP3 and Griffin. But for the first time, this was going to be – this was going to be it. And it's still going to be it, after, you know, when they get started. I'm looking forward to that, bro. Yeah. James, before we spoke today, I watched uh, – just watched some film of you, and I was looking at the Great Western Forum, and it was jumping. It was jumping. And I was with Danny last year in Toronto, and Scotiabank Arena was jumping. Outside of the arena was jumping. And I think about all the times and the crowd has impacted playoff games, made players play better, made players play worse, a crucial turnover all of a sudden because you can't think straight because it's so loud or all of a sudden you're energized and you block a shot because the crowd is cheering you on. From your standpoint, and obviously this is something Denny might have to live through actually, mm. how important uh, are fans to performance, to, to a player's performance whether it's a star player or a role player, and how do, how do you think Danny should manage the expectation that fans won't be there? You know, it's hard to say because we've never had an empty arena. <laughs> I know when the competition starts, it's on. Mm -hmm. You know, someone elbows me in my chest. I don't care if there's 20,000 people there or not. We're getting ready to get busy. <laughs> uh, but I... I do feel the crowd. Any athlete that says he doesn't, it's, you might not, it might not be a distraction for you, mm. but trust me, when Danny hits a big three and we need a big three and the crowd goes crazy, I'm feeling pretty good. That's, that, <laughs> I know whenever I've gotten a dunk or blocked a shot or something like that, yes, because you appreciate being appreciated and there's something about the, the, the noise that gives you just a short period of energy and, confidence so it's going to be a, a major task playing without the, the the fans maybe they'll bring in the arena uh i was i was watching the bill maher uh show another night and he's pumping in some laughter and but <laughs> it, it, it's 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 it, it's going to be something we've never seen before so i'm gonna i'm gonna be interested to see what danny's explanation is, you know, when he goes through it. Cause that's, for, for sure. They talk about bringing some fan noise in, which I heard it. It didn't sound that bad when it first brought it to our attention. I was like, ah, oh, it's going to be weird. But you're, you're absolutely right, man. That energy, you need that. And, you know, they, I think I learned something way back when or heard something. It might have been, and I might be wrong about this scientifically, um, but they say you perform your best when, you know, if you've done something before, you practice it before, done it before, but if you do it in front of a crowd of people, your adrenaline and your what's the name it heightens you to perform or do it better than you normally would when you have people watching you. We're performers. So we're performers, you know, man. it's like, you know, <laughs> if you were a musician, you wouldn't go out and play in front of an empty crowd. We perform, we entertain people. So 
there's an innate something in us that allows us to enjoy that. And, you know, when you're down 11 points, you need that crowd. You need the crowd to help you get back into the game. So it's going to be a challenge for you guys. Yeah. So you, need that, you need that adrenaline. For sure. Uh, another and, – and maybe it's more influential for, for younger players. Uh, I guess maybe a more veteran player might help – it might not be as big as a deterrent. But you know, speaking of younger players, uh, James, you blossomed under Magic uh, and Kareem, eventually you know, became, becoming the leading scorer on the team. Uh, over the course of the year, fans have wavered with their enthusiasm with Kyle Kuzma. How do you think this period here helps him? Because from one standpoint – He's not on the court as much, getting the chemistry that you want him to get with LeBron and AD and such with Markeith Morris coming in. But on the other hand, as a young player, there's a wealth of time to watch film. So uh, how do you think he could bounce that? How do you think this can hurt or this, this period can hurt or help specifically Kyle Kuzma? Yeah, my perspective, you know, being out doesn't help anybody, in my opinion. Unless you're injured, uh, you know, Kuz was work in progress, you know. Uh, when he came here, uh, you know, he had that great summer league, but he was playing with a bunch of young players, you know, Lonzo Ball, Randall. They didn't really have veterans. So it was easy to blossom in that young generation movement. You know, he had a volume of shots. Nobody was saying anything about taking 20 shots. Finally, you put him on a real team with veterans. Usually you come into the league, and, and you get that. But he came in very young with a young unit. Mm -hmm. So he had to really learn how to play with veterans. And it was a struggle, you know, because I'm not getting my shots now. Uh, you know, Ingram went to New Orleans and he's getting off. I'm not getting anything here. There's a lot of things that go on in your head that mm -hmm. they will never tell you. Uh, it, I went through it. Everyone goes through it. You have to get over that. Then I started to see a little breakthrough. I started to see him understand his role a little bit, start getting some rebounds, start playing defense. So I think he was close, man. He was close to getting to the point where he could be a little bit more efficient, a little bit more consistent, and also let it go. It's LeBron and AD. Know your role, play your role. I did it, and look at all the accolades I got. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I could have gone to a, a, another team, the Clippers, and I could have been the man like Dominique, but you just have to be patient. And, time will come. You know, and I think patience is good for him, understanding that, you know, you're not the guy. You're not the guy. Yes, you're a great scorer. Fit into the team and everything else to take care of yourself. And I think he was – I think, sincerely, Kuz was getting there. Uh, just one or two more before we get you off this, the, the horn. One more, actually, really. Take your time. One fun one and then one good one. Um, as you're watching the last dance, and obviously you lived through it when, when Mike, when I was saying you were younger, you guys were playing, um, and you see the Jordan-LeBron comparisons before this and even now during this time so much more, even more, more so now because of the documentary coming out. Do you think it's fair to people to try to compare and contrast or to judge? Uh, and if you had to choose, do you favor one over the other? God, it's tough, man. <laughs> I'm winning with either one. Yes, agreed. We've never seen a physical physique like LeBron James. Mm -hmm. LeBron James had it since he came into the league. I mean, he could go play 
middle linebacker or tight end for the Dallas Cowboys. Right he's now. really a, he's really a football player body. <laughs> I don't think MJ could do that, and I think um, I'm not gonna. You know, if I had to make my choice, I I'm going with MJ because I you know I played mm-hmm. with him. Uh, I know his he's deadly, mm-hmm. and I don't think there's anybody in the league today that has the tenacity that he had. He's uh, Michael's not nice. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. I think the only person I can actually think of in today's league that is as, I wouldn't say me, but has that kind of mindset would be Russ. You know, Russ has it. Is a very, very few guys, but even then, listen, I don't think anybody, we've seen anybody like Mike with that mentality yeah. coming hey, on the court. I'm sitting here, and I think I got right here behind me, I got, you know, Kobe Bryant's little photo here and his daughter. Kobe had it. Yeah. Kobe had sure. it 100%. But sure. nobody has it like LeBron. LeBron can take over a game. I don't know, man. I love LeBron. I'm going to have to go with my boy, man. Because he chose me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> five, right? So, Understandable. Yeah. It can go sure. wrong either way there, man. But Michael's mean. He's mean, boy. <laughs> mean. James, I don't know how much – I don't know how much Danny's been able to see this because he's obviously playing games, but I make my time to watch Spectrum Sports, particularly when the Lakers are on the road. And uh, I've become uh, very happy when I see you pull out the Victory Cigar. Oh, yeah. How how much do you miss the Victory Cigar? And uh, I, 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 I think I know the origin of how it probably started, considering the beef with the Celtics, but maybe I'm off base with that. Uh, kind of, sort of. It kind of started with when we played the Celtics, you know. I used to always say, let's get that Celtic ass. <laughs> you know, get that ass. You should say that. So then after we beat them, Red Arback used to light up these cigars after the Celtics won. When we beat him in 1985, he didn't get to light it up. So that was that was uh that was that was where I got it from. So it's kind of you know light it up every now and then, big victory. We got the we got the Clippers. I lit it up, you know. So, yeah. Special occasions, and I had I had some nice ones for the playoffs this year. I'm saving. You know, you know, you're a boss when you can light up a cigar in the building. <laughs> in the studio, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's all kind of fire hazards in there too. <laughs> I'm earned, man. You have. You definitely have, man. We appreciate you. Hopefully you get to light up some more when we get back on track. Absolutely. Uh, appreciate you joining us, man, taking your time out. Um, this, is, this is amazing. This is great. This is huge, man. Much love. And said, hopefully you get a chance to link up. Hope the family's well. Everybody's safe. Uh, stay safe. Um, you know, and said, hopefully you get back to normal uh, routine. Uh, but thank you once again, man, for your time. This is, this is great, man. Much love always. Uh, we'll see you back in the studio hopefully soon. Much love, Danny. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank you, sir. You got it, brother. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of Inside the Green Room. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Inside Green Room and on Twitter at Green Room Inside for a sneak peek at upcoming content and the latest news from our team. Also, please take a moment to subscribe and rate this podcast so that we can continue to provide you with the best content. 